So preparation. Preparation is something that all of us, young, old, everyone is familiar with, right? We, we uh, as children, we learn um, what it means to know that something's going to take place and that we better be ready when it happens, right? All of us have kind of learned that lesson, some of us better than others. Um, but uh, we've, we've come to know, all of us are familiar with that term, preparation, what it means to prepare uh, for something. Most of the time, we prepare for the things that we love or we value, right? We're going to spend time preparing for things that we, that we enjoy, things that we love, that we want to do, um, things that we value. Uh, I remember, so, we, so we've, got, we've got three kids, uh, Bo, Bear, and Carmen. Um, Bo, our oldest, just turned nine a couple months ago. So a little over nine years ago, my wife and I were preparing to have our first child, and uh, my wife, I said all this stuff about her in the first service, so it's okay. Um, it's okay to say it in this service too. But she, she's very good at preparing. There are times where I feel like she over-prepares, which is also a good thing, though. Um, she thinks I, I'm the opposite of that. Um, but when we got ready to have Bo, um, I mean, right after we found out we were pregnant, she wanted to paint the walls in the nursery. I was like, we don't even know the gender. She's like, we'll do a gender-neutral color. And I was like, Okay, okay. So everything, everything was ready for Bo at like week 18. We didn't even know his gender yet, and the room was immaculate. Uh, it, it was all ready. And so um, we, we were prepared, so we thought. I mean, in that way we were, but many other ways we weren't. But um, for the arrival of this child that we loved, and um, there, I'm sure most of you guys can think of examples of times where you haven't been prepared for something. Uh, our family also has, in the last couple years, has enjoyed going camping. Um, some of you that are like avid campers, you might call it glamping. Uh, I'm not really down with the tent stuff. I, I, I like to, to have AC. If, if, I, if I need it, I can go inside and cool off. Um, but we, uh, we're all about glamorous camping. Um, one of the things that we, we love, I love about camping I love to eat well. If we're if we're gonna go camping, I don't. I'm not satisfied with a sandwich and a hot dog. Um, I want to grill something that tastes really good. That's just good good food. And so, um, the first time we went camping, we realized pretty quickly uh, that we weren't as prepared as we thought we were. Uh, so I I love to cook like steaks, fajitas, really good burgers, stuff like that. that's what I want to eat when we go camping, which is different from a lot of people, um, but. Uh, we, we get ready, and I, I grill these steaks, and I look at Jamie, my wife, and I said, where, where are the steak knives? And she's like, oh, we forgot the steak knives. And I was like, ah, no worry, kids. Your dad's a good, good cook on the grill. We won't need them as bad. And so um, it, it ended up being okay. We were still able to, to, to chew the steaks uh, sufficiently. Um, but we, we forgot steak knives. We forgot uh, batteries for flashlights which is, I mean, they're, they're useless um, at that point. Um, no batteries for the flashlights. Uh, we, we've got another uh, couple that we're good friends with who recently went camping as well, and I asked, I asked the husband, I said, hey, man, how, how was it? And he said, it was great, except for the fact that we left in a hurry and we forgot the meat. And I was like, oh, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And they were out in a, in a desolate place where it was, I'm sure it was, it was difficult to go and, and get meat um, but, I mean, these are examples of, 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 of events where we're not prepared. Like, we, 
We, we knew something was going to happen. We knew we needed to be ready for something, and we weren't ready when the time came. Um, and so Jesus here in, in Matthew 24 and 25, so in 25, he's going to teach a parable, um, and it's, it's a story. Um, it's, it's an example of, uh, of, of some in this story who were prepared and some who were not. And there's a very distinct um, separation from those um, Jesus, in teaching this parable, he uses the example of a wedding. Um, so in, in verse 1, chapter 25, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So he's going to use this example of a wedding. And I think it helps us to know a little bit about the context and the cultural history of how they did weddings. We don't know exactly how weddings take pl- took place Some of them were a little bit different, just how weddings today take place a little bit differently um, with some of the details. But there were certain things that, that, certain customs that took place uh, for the majority of weddings. Um, One of the things we know is that that there were two, within ancient Jewish weddings, there were two main ceremonies that took place. And there was a gap in between. Um, The first ceremony that would take place is what's called the betrothal. And so at the betrothal, the, the bride... Um, would become legally married, legally connected to uh, the husband, but she still lived in her father's house. It's kind of weird. Um, but so we, when we look at betrothal, we think, we, we like to use the word engaged. It's deeper than that um, because they, they were legally bound to each other. If you remember the, uh, the, the birth of Christ, um, of Jesus, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other, um, and when Mary became pregnant, Joseph um, thought that she had cheated on him, and he went to quietly divorce her, which was, that was the only way to break betrothal at that point was divorce. Um, so it's deeper than engagement. Um, so that's, that's the, first, um, the first ceremony. Part of that ceremony as well was that the groom, the groom would have to pay a price for the bride. There was kind of a, a, a bartering that would go on between the father of the bride and the groom and in him offering a gift of either service or uh, something of value to purchase her, um, to show her worth uh, to the, the, the bride's father. And so this would go on, um, and then they would come to an agreement uh, of what the price would be. Um, the groom would then pay that. And then there would be this, this gap, this time period that would take place from the betrothal where they, uh, they're legally bound but they haven't had the, wear, the wedding ceremony yet. So the next ceremony um, after this gap is the wedding. And at the wedding, this is typically how it would take place. The bride and her friends would be at her father's house where she still lived. And the groom would journey from his house to the father of the bride's house. And would then barter some more and then come to an agreement on what price he was going to pay for the bride and then he would then take the bride back to his house, and there at his house, um, they would have this huge, elaborate uh, wedding ceremony and, and feast. Um, and so the, the, the parable that Jesus is telling, we don't know if, 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 uh, if, if, if these people, the, these, these, uh, these ten virgins were at the bride's father's house awaiting the groom coming, or if they were at the groom's house. Um, we just know that they, they, were, they were there waiting for the arrival uh, of, of the groom uh, to begin um, the wedding ceremony. A few things that we, we need to notice here uh, is that there, there is a bridal party. Um, and so Jesus says that, there, uh, that the focus 
of this is on the bridegroom, not the bride, which is different from our, our culture um, and how we do weddings. The, the focus here was on the bridegroom. Um, his, he had his own procession, and in, within his procession in this story, there's 10, ten virgins, uh, which could be, we, we would basically explain those as, as 10 bridesmaids. Um, so they were there to, uh, to be a part of the procession uh, for the bridegroom to welcome him into the ceremony. Um, and all 10 of these have been given the same job and task. They've been, they've been tasked with providing light for the ceremony, for the procession. Um, which, which is something that was very important because they didn't have electricity, so they couldn't just flip on the lights. And so there had to be people that carried torches that provide, uh, provided light um, for the procession uh, into the feast. Jesus uh, tells us that five of these, uh, these bridesmaids were wise, and they brought extra oil. Um, and five of them were foolish, and they didn't prepare, and they didn't bring enough oil. Um, and so their lamps, the lamps were run, obviously the, the, the oil was the fuel that, that provided the flame for the lamp. So these lamps were essentially strips of cloth that were wrapped around uh, a stick. And you would, if you were prepared, you would have your, your strips of cloth on a stick and you would have a separate jar with oil in it and you would dip it in the, in the oil and then light it and it would provide light for about 15 minutes and then it would, it would burn off You'd need to dip it in oil again, and then again another fifteen minutes. Um, and so this this was this was what this was what they were tasked with was providing light. Um, the second thing to notice here uh, contextually is that the the way that um, the the Jewish people um, in this culture, I mean, it differed greatly from from our culture as well. Is that time? Time to them was their their schedule operated a little bit differently. Uh, than how we do in Western culture. Jesus, Jesus says that, that the bridegroom was delayed, that he wasn't there when, he, when everybody thought he was going to be there. He took, he took longer to get there. Um, side note, we, so this is kind of comparing cultures. So my wife and I, this is even before we had kids. We didn't really have an excuse. But there was a wedding ceremony we were going to. And we, were, we were 10 minutes late. And we miss the ceremony. We show up just in time to see the bride and groom walking down the aisle after the ceremony's been done. And we're like, well, okay, that was a great wedding, guys, great wedding. Um, but it, it's different in, in, how, in how they operated and how, how we, we do weddings. And so um, these, these guys weren't, weren't in too big of a hurry. Um, and, and so uh, there was also even an element of the custom of the wedding ceremony, that the groom would kind of make it interesting. He'd make, it was kind of like a game where he could show up really early and surprise everybody and say, hey, you're not ready, but I'm ready to have the ceremony. Or he could tarry and wait um, and delay, and they would be sitting there in, in, in anticipation waiting for the groom's arrival. So this was culturally a familiar thing to them. Um, and so these five foolish bridesmaids that didn't bring enough oil um, knew that there's a pretty good chance that, that the bridegroom could be, could be delayed. Um, they were familiar with that custom and that chance. Uh, there's a couple different um, spiritual implications for us. Within, when, we, when we look at these parables, um, it, it's, a, it's a story that could have taken place, um, but a story that Jesus has, has given us example that has spiritual implications 
for us. Um, and so when we read this, there's some things that we can take and apply um, to, to ourselves. Um, Jesus talks about these five foolish virgins. These five foolish virgins, obviously, they procrastinated, um, and, they, and they, weren't, they weren't prepared. Um, they thought that maybe for some reason they, they'd, be, they'd be able to get oil from somebody else. I mean, we see that in the text where they look at the other five and they say, hey, can, can we have some oil? We don't have, we're not going to have enough. Like, can you give us some oil? Um, and so they think that they could probably borrow oil from somebody else or that they'll have a chance to go get some more. Um, but it's a very clear, um, a clear thing that they, they have not prepared adequately for, um, for the ceremony. I think it's, 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 uh, it'd be safe to say that they probably spent time earlier that day doing something else. Probably something that they wanted to do for themselves, something that they enjoyed doing. Um, I mean, you could fill in the blank. Maybe they had a project they were working on or they were hanging out with other friends or maybe they were um, just being lazy, not wanting to do anything. But there was something that they did before that where they didn't prepare, right? And the five that were wise had prepared. So um, the danger here for us when we look at this is that there's, there's a great danger in spiritual procrastination. There's a great danger in, in spiritual procrastination. Because of, because of their procrastination and not being prepared uh, with enough oil for the ceremony um, and their disinterest with the groom, they're, they're, they're told um, by the groom, I don't know you. You can't, you can't come in. I don't, I don't know you. It's a pretty pretty heavy thing to hear. Um, and if we, if we compare the spiritual implications of this, um, this, is, this is pretty convicting. Uh, when, we, when we look at uh, our own lives and reflect ways that we have procrastinated spiritually, um, a lot of us might say, man, how, how often do we say, let me, let me get through with this, with fill in the blank. Let me get through with this season of whatever this is, and then I'll start growing in my relationship with Christ. Then I'll get serious about my faith. Then I'll get serious about getting plugged into the body, um, serving, um, advancing the kingdom. Spiritual pro- procrastination is, is sometimes laziness. Sometimes it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's us not putting in time and effort and work towards uh, the toil to grow in, in holiness um, in pursuit of, of Christ. But sometimes, I think for, for a lot of us, it happens because we're too busy with things that are of no spiritual value or importance. So sometimes it's laziness, but sometimes it's because we're too busy with other things that have no spiritual value and no spiritual importance. We see this, we see this all the time with youth ministry, with families, uh, with students. Some kids' schedules are so jam-packed with things that are preparing them for college taking all the classes, um, preparing them to win a state championship, spending so much time with private lessons, practices, games, tournaments, preparing them to buy a car. They've got a job. Some of these students have, I've, I've met students before that, that have, have jobs where they're working 30 hours a week, plus going to school, plus playing sports and other activities, um, preparing to take the SAT to get a scholarship. And these, these hear me, these, these are not bad things. It's not bad to be prepared for certain things. But if left unchecked, these things can and will be a distraction of spiritual growth um, and maturity. 
if they take precedent in, in, in your life. And so, parents, you guys are in a position where you are teaching your kids every day what to value and to prepare for. What you push them to do, to be involved in, what you encourage them to be involved in, um, teaches them what to value um, and, and to, uh, to prepare for. Um, I mean, if, if we're honest, if a, a lot of the students probably don't get to Wednesday night and they're like, oh man, I really want to be a youth group. Not every week, maybe some weeks, not every week. Um, but it's, it's, good, it's good for them. It's good for them to, to be prepared spiritually, to be uh, in the word, to be in community, to, um, to be involved in those things. Students, you guys are presented with choices. We talk about this a lot on Wednesday nights. You're, you're presented now with choices that you make. And as you continue in life, you will have choices um, of what wrestling with what is beckoning you for your time and your energy and your affection. Those are the things that you, you're, you're presented with choices all the time of what it, what's, what's pulling for my time, my energy, and my affection. And parents, um, so, so we, uh, you've, you've heard us say this before, um, each, each week we send out notes to the, to the other elders um, with kind of the sermon outline and, and input and, and add to it. Um, and Kai sent, sent back something with this. He said, man, I think this would be a good question to ask that would be um, very applicable for all of us to wrestle with. And, and he said, man, he said, ask yourself, if Christ were to return today, do I regret what I, myself, or my kids spent their time preparing for this past week? If Christ were to return today, would I regret what I spent my time and energy and what my kids spent their time and energy on primarily last week? What about last year? Take a step back. Reflect on that. What, what, are, we, what are we spending our time preparing for? Are they things that have no spiritual value or implication um, or are they eternal, eternal things? In chapter 24, in, in the text before this, this parable, um, we read about a servant who wasn't ready when his master came back. And so he was kind of caught off guard, like, whoa, whoa, he came back too soon, wasn't ready. He thought he had time, but he didn't. Our, our lives are spent preparing for different things, all of us. Um, don't procrastinate in growing in holiness. Don't procrastinate in your love uh, and devotion to the bridegroom. So there's a great danger in spiritual procrastination. On the flip side of this, there's wisdom in preparation. When we look at the other, so in contrast, when we look at the other five, other five virgins that, that Jesus calls wise, they're wise because they know how the bridegroom wants, wants them um, to be prepared, and they do it. They're confident, they're ready. They have everything that they need that the bridegroom has asked them to do to be a part of this that, that shows how much they love the bridegroom, that shows how much they um, appreciate the bridegroom, and, the, and they're confident in that. In, in chapter 24, there was a, a verse that mentioned in the days of Noah. So Noah was, was, was told by God to build this ark. It took him like 120 years or something to, to build uh, this boat um, and he's told that, that, that God's going to flood the earth when he's never seen rain before. Um, and, and Noah was prepared and waiting. And he remained faithful 
in, in, those, in those years of, of waiting, um, he was prepared. So I think for us, we can ask the question, um, so if it's important that we're prepared, how do we, how do we make sure that we're, we're spiritually prepared? The first, the first thing is that we must, we must have enough oil when the bridegroom returns. So we, when, we, when we look at Jesus' other teachings, Jesus talks about those who will inherit the kingdom of God or those who, who trust in him, who believe in him, who forsake all other things and follow him, those who have, have faith to believe. Those are the ones that will inherit the kingdom of God. And so we can, we can say, based on comparing this parable with spiritual implications, that we must, we must have enough faith when the bridegroom returns. We must be found faithful um, in order to be prepared when the bridegroom returns. This isn't, this isn't uh, works. It's not us doing things um, and being prepared. It's, it's, it's trusting in Jesus, trusting in the good news of the gospel, um, that Christ was sufficient for um, the payment for our sins, um, and that we have forsaken everything to follow and trust him. Um, the second thing to be uh, spiritually prepared is that it, it must be our own faith. So just like the, the, the five foolish uh, bridesmaids couldn't borrow oil, um, you can't borrow faith. You can admire people's faith. You can look at somebody and say, man, that man, that woman, really strong faith. I really admire. You can be around them. You can spend time with them. You can be in, in church services. You can be in a small group even. But it has to be your faith. You can't take faith or borrow faith from other people. Um, it has to be your own. The third thing is that um, to be spiritually prepared, we need to spend ourselves loving and obeying the bridegroom. We spend our, our energy, our time, our resources um, being connected to, uh, to the bridegroom through the bride, being a part of community, being a part of uh, of sitting under the preaching of God's word, um, participating in corporate worship each week, walking in community um, with one another. These, these are how we love and obey uh, the bridegroom. The final way we, we, uh, we prepare spiritually is that our lifestyle choices become countercultural. Because remember, cult- culture is telling us that we need to be prepared this way. We need to be prepared with this or this. Um, but, but the kingdom that, that, that Christ is calling us to be prepared of is not of this world. It's not of this culture. Um, it's countercultural, the decisions that we make, um, the lifestyle choices that we, um, we make. Those, those who are devoted to the bridegroom orient their lives to make much of him and not themselves. Let me say that one more time. Those, those who are devoted to the bridegroom, devoted to Christ, orient their lives to make much of him and not themselves. Think about, think about if, if, if somebody you know, this day and age, we're going to have a wedding, and they were going to say it's going to start at 2 p.m. on Saturday. You show up, and you're like, okay, I'm here. And say they don't show up ready to do the wedding until 11 p.m. Are you going to stick around? Like, are you gonna? Are you that devoted to that person to be there like your whole day, um, in in anticipation of the wedding happening? Um, the the picture that we see here of the five wise bridesmaids, their devotion to the bridegroom, 
is, is tremendous. Um, it's, it's deep. And so those, those who are devoted to Christ orient their lives to make much of him and not themselves. Because you could, you know, on, that, on a day like that, I could think of a hundred other things that I can do from 2 to 11 and be spending my time doing, um, but instead to be there in support and anticipation of somebody um, communicates how, how devoted you are um, to them. Another example that comes to mind is we, we as a church just sent, sent some friends uh, to go and live in the Middle East. Um, they sold everything they had here, moved to the Middle East um, to engage um, people, that, that Muslims that don't know Jesus as Messiah. Um, and their decision to move and to do that was motivated by their love for the groom and their desire to see his kingdom advance. It wasn't, they didn't make this decision to, to build their own kingdom um, or to build a resume, or to, to build their bank accounts, or, I mean, what, to build social status. Like, their decision was, was to advance the kingdom. Their decision was to make much of the groom, to make much of Christ. So many of us see that. They, we, we, we see uh, these countercultural lifestyle choices like that, and we think, man, that's extreme. I, I could never do that. It's because we're not, we're not devoted we're not as prepared um, to see the groom, to see the kingdom of Christ um, fulfilled. We've been, we've been taken captive by these other things that the world says we should prepare for instead. And we're missing out on the joy and fulfillment of being actively involved in the kingdom of God, being made known here and to the ends of the earth. And the last, the last thing that we can see from this parable is that timing, timing matters. Um, the time, the time is now. There's the, the interesting thing about time, when we, when we talk about time, um, time, time is one thing that you can't take back. Um, you, can't, you can never go back and get more of it, right? We can never go back in time and, and fix something that we, we should have done or we didn't do. Um, you, can, you can never get time back. The virgins, all, all ten of them, the, the five wise and the five um, foolish, they got tired and they fell asleep, which isn't a bad thing. Um, we all need sleep. Um, and they were there. Why not sleep while you're waiting? Um, but when they woke up, they had, they, there was no time left to prepare. When they woke up, the bridegroom was there. It's go time. There's no, there's no more time to prepare. There's no more time to get oil. Their chance, their chance was over. There's, there's a heavy reality um, that they had run out of time to prepare, and they're not allowed into the wedding feast because of it, because they had procrastinated, because they were not um, devoted to the bridegroom. They were left unprepared, and because of that, they weren't, they weren't allowed in. So when we look at this parable, we see, and we see that Jesus is warning the disciples and those who are listening as he's teaching it, but he's also warning us that there's going to be a day when we run out of time. There's going to be a day when we have no more time to prepare. In uh, Wednesday nights with the, with the, with the students, um, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. I thought it was cool this week. We were in Hebrews chapter 9. Um, and as I was studying that, I got to the end of, of, of chapter 9. I was like, man, these, these verses really connect with, uh, with what this, this parable um, that we were going to discuss um, this morning uh, is about 
And, uh, and so I'm going to read a couple verses and connect that for us out of Hebrews 9. But in Hebrews 9, um, the, the writer is, is talking about how Jesus has come and he's, he's our great high priest, but he's also the sacrifice. That Jesus bore the sacrifice for sin in our place once and for all. Like the high priest had to com- continually offer a sacrifice for sin every year on the Day of Atonement. But Jesus came and he, he fulfilled all that in one sacrifice in Hebrews 9, 27, this verse says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So just like how the, the, the ten virgins, when they fell asleep, by the time they woke up, there was no time. Um, so in the same way, um, there, there's there's going to come a time when, when we enter, either we enter into uh, sleep in this life, where we pass from this life, we die a physical death, or Christ returns. And one of those, either one of those is going gonna, is gonna, gonna to stop the time for us. We're not, there's going to be no more, no more time, no more chance um, to prepare. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We will all stand before the Father in judgment one day and give an account for what we've done in this life. We don't know when that time's gonna come, but we know, we know it's coming one day. We know either Jesus is gonna return um, while we're still alive, or um, we're gonna die, a physical death here. I mean, we will stand before the Father in judgment and give an account for what we've done. Um, that should create a sobering sense of urgency, right? Of not knowing when that is, but knowing that we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. And those who are truly prepared and who love the bridegroom and want to see his kingdom established will be welcomed in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Hebrews 26, it says, But as it is, he, Christ, has appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And this is simply showing us that when we talked about the, the Jewish custom of marriage, that there's betrothal and a wedding ceremony, that Christ has purchased the church with his blood. The blood of Jesus bought the church, paid the price for sin that was due, um, that was due us because of um, our sin. Christ has purchased the church with his blood. That's a price that he paid for his bride. And because of that, he's betrothed to her. And so we, we live in this gap of time between Jesus paying the price um, for sin on the cross, um, defeating the power over sin and death, but we're waiting. We're waiting for Christ to come back and to lay claim to his bride and to fully be, um, to, to, to complete the union uh, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hebrews 9.28, I'll, re- I'll read this to close. It says, So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he did that on the cross, but to save those who were eagerly waiting for him. So again, this is a warning, a stark warning to us to be prepared. What are we, what are we, what are we spending our time and our energy preparing for? Is it, is it for the kingdom of God, to, the kingdom of Christ to be ushered in, or is it for our kingdom? Um, that's something that I, I've wrestled with this week. Uh, I pray it's something that you guys would wrestle with as well, um, that, we would be, that we would be ready. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. Um, God, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus um, in our place. God, we thank you that we have hope. Um, God, that Christ has, has dealt with our sin on the cross. Um, God, and we have hope that those who are in Christ, that have trusted in Christ for salvation, God, that this is not the end for us. God, that Christ will return. Um, so, God, we pray that you would help us to orient our, our lives and our hearts to be prepared, to be ready. God, to have faith and trust. God, you'd help us persevere um, to the end, remain faithful um, to the groom. God, we, uh, we just pray that you would make us mindful of the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus has purchased the church with his blood. God, and that he's returning again for her to make her complete. God, we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.